This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. All right, I've been trying to get this woman on for years because uh, she's at NYU, which is in New York. And now we got COVID, so nobody can see anybody right now. We're not even doing anything uh, in the studio. But uh, gratefully, we have a radio show that now allows folk to call in and zoom in and do a host of other things. And uh, I just binge watched during this whole COVID experience all seven seasons of West Wing. And I got to really enjoy what a real government looks like. I got to be jealous about all of the smart people in an administra- administration. And she was one of them, Dr. Nancy McNally. But she's also uh, on Blackish. Uh, I love her as Rainbow's mom. And uh, she's done amazing documentaries. I've just finished watching Twilight, which is so apropos right now. Let me welcome to the show. She is accomplished beyond belief. And I am so grateful to have her here today, Ms. Anna Devere Smith. Welcome. Oh, it's my pleasure. And you, you took some time at NYU yourself, I saw. Yeah, I was there for three years in the um, media department teaching journalist before, journalism yeah. before I went over to Hunter College. Uh, but we missed each other. I would have loved to have been there when you were, while you were there. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you never know. You never know. That's true. That's true. Maybe you can come over to Hunter. I'm just putting that out know. there. Okay. <laughs> so, so, um, let me let me ask you this, because you're, you're one of the smartest people uh, and, and, and the beauty of, of watching your art is that it is so thoughtful. You did a whole documentary on the riots in L.A. Uh, you did it so cleverly and it's appropriate now. At the time, it said this is not a melting pot it's a boiling pot. Somebody in the documentary said and uh-huh. they, they classified the L.A. riots as one of the worst riots in our history. I think we're actually in one of the most interesting times in our history. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out what it is exactly. Um, you know, is it, uh, is it an earthquake that will, you know, settle down? Is it a, a flood like Hurricane Katrina, which will take some time to settle down? Uh, and, you know, where some people never went back home. Um, thus, you know, New Orleans was almost left for dead, but they pulled through. You know, I, I don't I'm not going to say that I know, because I think it's also that we're in this uh, peculiar pandemic, which even before the murder of George Floyd, you know, most of us would say, wow, I, I, I don't know what next year is going to bring. I don't know when theaters are going to open up again. I don't know when I'm going to go back to work. Right. So we're in the, the, the murder of George Floyd and the uh, demonstrations and the protests that followed are nonetheless on a very rocky ground, even before before it all happened. So I'm not going to pretend to say that I know what this is right here. Uh, people are promising. There's promises. There's glimpses of promises of change. Um, you know, folks uh, making massive donations sometimes. A lot of black artists, you know, speaking out and saying this has to change and this is why and and signing on uh, to petitions. And you've been down the petition road yourself, right, um, uh, with starting that petition, uh, you know, to get the Confederate flag down after the massacre at Mother Emanuel. I, I, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. 
what what do you think though? What do you feel? I I, I feel like we have a short window to get a whole lot of things done. LeBron right, James right. just tweeted. Right. Uh, I got to be honest. I don't know what to demand, I, you know, and I think there's a whole lot of demands. There's like silly things like taking down statues of Jesus, which I think is silly uh, to, you know, wholesale, you know, talks about maybe reparations. What does that even look like? Um, I think there, there are a lot of people donating Apple $150 million, but where's it going to go? And what, who's going to follow that money trail to make sure that it actually leads to wholesale change? I, I, I don't know if we were, we have the muscles, built for this right well look reed hastings just donated 127 million dollars to uh, morehouse spellman and and the united negro college fund i mean morehouse has been around for a long time i know the current president of uh of spellman i mean she was at nyu for a long time the dean of the school of the arts mary schmidt campbell she's an you know an incredible leader i'm sure she will do great things with with those funds um so, I mean, I think that's, but I'm with you. I'm with you about the short window because if I look at what I saw in Los Angeles in 1992 and 93 and what people promised, and here we are back with some of the same problems, right? And even back then in 92, 93, Congresswoman Maxine Waters made an incredible sermon at uh, Fame Church, it was called, the First African Methodist Episcopal Church in Los Angeles, where a lot of people gathered during that time. And she talked about how 30 years before the Los Angeles riots of 92, 93, there had been riots, and those two would be, uh, you know, based on police brutality. So there does seem to be a way in which we don't make progress. But in other ways, you know, quite frankly, you know, I had a different life than my mother had. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be here for some of the things that President Johnson uh, did. And I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the struggles of, on the one hand, Martin Luther King, and then, you know, folks like the Panthers and Malcolm on the other. So I'm not a complete Debbie Downer about this stuff, but I agree it's a short window. And what I say to younger people who say, what, what should I be doing? You know, I say, you know, just don't sleep. Don't sleep because um, it's a short window. Look for opportunity seize on opportunity and move yourself forward some kind of way mm-hmm. and hopefully your the community around you. I'm actually optimistic. Uh, I teach, you teach. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think this, gen- this next generation, 18, 19, 20 year olds are, are different. Like I, f- I feel their sensibilities are different. They, they see the world differently racially. You know, you can have a Dylan Ruth in that space, but the vast majority of them are more like the Parkland young people are more like Greta Thunberg. They're, they're more conscious of the future that's being left for them and they're not here for it. And they also have Twitter fingers and TikTok fingers and they, and they know how to use social media in a way that right. uh, many of us do not. I'm optimistic that they are going to lead the charge. And as I look at the protesters, I see a lot of them out there. Yeah, well, but we do need to use the word we're hearing all the time systemic change we need our institutes uh, institutions to change um and they can push from the side but i think of some change not all but some change that needs to be straight down the middle like uh veins and arteries in a body a lot of that does need uh government a lot of that does need um you know corporate corporate power some of that really has to happen from the inside from the people who Hold the power. You know, Martin Luther King famously said in a letter from Birmingham jail that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. So the kids in the streets are trying to 
you know, make it clear that, you know, whether it's voluntary or not, those who have privileges are going to have to give some of them up. But we still need those who have the privileges to, to give them up. You, you've talked a lot about education, um, and that's near and dear to my heart. And Thomas Jefferson being the, the founder of our current education system, where yeah, you, you've, you've been quoted as saying that he did. Well, it's not even that you quoted. This is the fact. He, he did not mean for everyone to be educated. And uh, in, in many ways, we are. This is the education system that he imagined where people are woefully un, uneducated or miseducated and they have just enough to 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 not be savages. How do first we fix all, that? He, talk about first of all, he's talking about white males. Right. And, um, you know, that uh, white male landowners were the people who were considered full people. I don't think the rest of us were. But the thing I love about that particular moment in Jefferson's history in Noseman State of Virginia is he lays out this plan uh, for education. And the, the, the bottom line of that plan, Karen, is that it, it is created to to find the excellent ones, the excellent ones. And here's my favorite part and throw out the rubbish. Your listeners may not believe me. All they need to do is Google notes from the state of Virginia. You will find it and, and put in a fine for the word rubbish. And it is there, the word rubbish. And so our education system right now in public schools is, um, you know, it's a sorting mechanism. It's a sorting mechanism. And I don't know if it's looking for the excellent ones and the rubbish, but it certainly is throwing some people out. I was talking with David West yesterday, NBA player, and he's creating uh, a league for college kids who don't necessarily m- measure up, you know, so you don't have to have taken an SAT or pass an SAT. He said there are so many great athletes out there who would never get an opportunity to go on because they don't measure up. And I'm putting up air quotes around that because we know as educators, there's no test that can really tell you who's ready or who's smart, uh, who, no who can learn because kids learn differently. And this education system is never uh, is never designed because I know in New York, if they put music to the regions, kids pass. So 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 for, for the kids that fail, if they put music to the regions test and they study through using music, they pass. So clearly That's they can yeah, clearly they can. They're, they're smart. But they just yeah. haven't figured out a way to educate kids who don't learn the same way as, uh, you know, the standardized test will tell us we need to learn. What do you say well, to that? Also, well, some kids just don't make it because, uh, you know, either they get thrown out of school, um, you know, and they and that was my last playing notes for the field was about uh, the school to prison pipeline. They get thrown out of school uh, for disciplinary matters uh, during the Obama administration, Justice Department did data to show that black, brown, Native American kids get expelled and suspended more frequently than middle class kids. And that um, poor kids I'm talking about, of course, uh, and that a certain number of expulsions and suspensions absolutely predict that they will be spending the rest of their lives in and out of the criminal justice system in some kind of way. So, you know, basically, if you're not in school, you're in trouble. Right. So if you get suspended. That's one thing. And if school doesn't want you, the drug dealers do Um, at any age. They can make use of you. And also some kids themselves leave school because they find that they can rather make dough in these uh, industries that, you know, are dangerous. And, you know, like uh, those industries can also end you in jail. So it's not just that folks, some folks have trouble learning, which is true. Certainly. And thank God there are 
you know, look, my mother was a reading specialist uh, when I was growing up. They didn't even have, they didn't talk about dyslexia then. So it is good that actually we've come to a time that more people can make it through a rigid system. My concern was the kids who can't make it because of disciplinary measures, and then we just, we lose them. We lose them to reform schools and jails. As if kids don't have disciplinary issues, all kids, but all it kids. seems like black kids are, de- are demonized. And we know that the brain's not fully formed until mid-20s. And so we are dooming kids for, for a lifetime for mistakes that they make that most kids make and they never have to pay for it for the rest of their lives. We're talking with the great Anna Devere Smith, uh, her book notes from the field. You should go get it. We're going to tweet out uh, a link to it. And it's also uh, an HBO uh, special as well. 866-801-8255 is the number if you want to speak with her. And as you're talking, I've been exploring this with several professors and and other uh, educators. Um, It's not just that the system is broken. You know, these cars today are like computers on wheels. (laughs) Everything is electronically controlled from your transmission. They got the touchscreen displays, dozens of sensors, and you can't fix a single thing when these things break. So when something breaks in your car, it could cost you a fortune. I just had a friend go through this with one of her cars, and guess what? $2,000. She wasn't covered, wasn't protected. So go now, get covered. CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans. They're customizable uh, and they cover everything. Thousands of dollars can, can be saved. They cover everything from computers to GPS to electronics and more. The people at CarShield also understand that you need payment flexibility. So they have plans that start as low as $99 a month with no long-term contracts or commitments. So if you're doing what I'm doing, which is paying off my car, your warranty is going to run out at some point. So head over to the number one auto protection provider, that is CarShield, more than a million customers and growing, and you can drive with confidence. They also give you 24-7 roadside assistance, complimentary, of course, and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. And you get to pick your favorite dealership or mechanic to do the work. They take care of the rest. So for as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises, save thousands for a cover repair. Call 800-CAR-6000, mention code KAREN, or visit carshield.com, use code KAREN to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code KAREN. A deductible may apply. You know, as you point out, Thomas Jefferson never designed it for us. But I think in many ways we emulated uh, things, and I'm talking about black people specifically, in our schools, we emulated a system that never counted us as full human beings. So we are teaching, I, I know I learned Call of the Wild and Jack London and, and Chaucer and, and I was an English major and of course Dickens and, and all these things that I never, I went to Catholic school. I didn't learn about Toni Morrison and, and all of the, you know, mm. Octavia Butler whose birthday was yesterday and I didn't, didn't celebrate it so I'm doing it now. And all the mm. great literature that came, Richard Wright and James Baldwin, I didn't study any of that till I went to college and that mm. was one teacher. One teacher. And mm. that's not black history. That should be American history, but also before slavery in, in, in our history classes, we got that one lesson in my Catholic school on slavery. And I got to look in a book with black people stacked in the holds of a ship. And I had all of the kids, the white kids look over at the black kids, like feeling bad for us. And I felt really embarrassed and a whole host of other things, but I never learned about Mansa Musa and I never learned about the Candaces, and I never learned about all of the great uh, warriors of African descent because our system is never designed to celebrate that. But I know everything about uh, European history. 
And I know I know everything about, you know, everything that's happened outside of of my of, of, of the continent of Africa. So I think fundamentally, I don't know how we get to that, Anna DeVere Smith, but that has to be part of the discussion. Well, well, but but uh, hold on for a second, though, because there would be some people who would say, particularly Southerners, that uh, our kids were better off really in segregation, right, in a way. Uh, by the way, the schools are still segregated, so, right. Yes. Um, it's not like it yes, even ended. But my mother, <clears throat> her friends, all my aunts on both sides, right, great big family, six on the side of my father, eight on the side of my mother, all the women were teachers. And I know that they dedicated their lives. First of all, a black woman with, with a college education wasn't much she could do other than Negro woman at the time they were called, um, you know, not much she could do other than uh, teach her be a nurse. And they dedicated themselves. I'm sure, you know, my mother was a race woman. I'm a race woman. They dedicated themselves to bringing along the race to another phase. And then, you know, some folks would say that, you know, so-called integrated schools were a good thing and a bad thing. But it's also that we devalued teachers along the way. Mm. Those women were seen as real leaders in their communities. They were respected in their communities. You know, uh, I'm not going to use foul language on your show. You can. But, you can, Anna DeVere but, Smith. This is serious XM. Say well, it. I mean, but, you know, you hear about, you know, I heard about, you know, kids calling teachers regardless of color a bitch. Right. I mean, it's like the respect for the profession went downhill as well for a lot of complicated reasons. And so the teacher didn't hold, I mean, look, you teach, I teach, you know, sometimes people in our profession, you know, the sort of media profession will say, what are you doing? Oh, oh, teaching is that like like a low thing or are you, you still teaching? And so that's a low thing. And for me, you know, teaching is another, first of all, it's another art form and it's something that I'm as dedicated to as I am for everything else. And I just want to tell you that one time I did have a chance to come over to Hunter and talk to some of the kids over there. And I was so excited. I was so excited about their, you know, confidence and what they wanted to do. And they, they actually weren't as, a little bit uptight. You know, my students, I love my students Go from NYU on. and the Tell ones the I had at Stanford. But, you know, they, little, they want to be right. You know, they want to be the smartest one. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, my, my sisters and brothers over there at Hunter, I mean, like, they were up on their feet. They weren't worried about whether they were right or not. I just loved it, how willing they were to express themselves and say what they were after. It was really gave me a lot of joy to see that. I love teaching at Hunter, and I always juxtapose it uh, to the the time I spent at NYU because you're going to get kids that are working. You may have kids that are parents. You're going to have kids from all walks of life. And it is, to me, it's probably one of the most diverse schools in, in the city for sure, but there's a sensibility of uh, there's no entitlement. You know, and it's the best thing that I do. You know, I often tell, you know, why do I still teach? Because it's the best thing that I do to be able to engage with young people. They teach me. And at the same time, you know, you're imparting something on people who absolutely appreciate what you're giving them. And I stay in touch and I have several of them working with us as we speak right now on on Sirius XM. And, you know, I'm glad that you said that. I appreciate that you acknowledge that about Hunter. So I can't say nothing bad about my. You know, my my homies over at NYU, but I did want to say how excited I was to be in a classroom with Hunter students at one time that I was invited. Tell me, Anna DeVere Smith, you know, because you you bridge so many different spaces with your art. Um, And and as I mentioned, I just talked about a few of the things that you're you're doing. 
as, as we look towards the future, because I feel like there is, again, before COVID and before this pandemic of race hit us, where so many white Americans now are, uh, you know, awakening to the reality that we live in a, a racist society or that there's something systemic going on. Art has been the thing, you know, I was talking about Watchmen and how that introduced people to Tulsa, Oklahoma, who never would understand that. And no, it wasn't perfect, but at least with that HBO space, we got to see Bass Reeves and, and the, the kind of uh, underpinnings that led to Black Wall Street being uh, destroyed. Uh, I, I'm seeing folks like Ava DuVernay bring us things like Queen Sugar, where we're, we're seeing this farming thing happen and, and, and the racism in that. Um, we're, we're seeing so many people use their art even in in science fiction like uh you know the twilight zone now uh jordan peele and 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 get out and and all of the things that he's doing are you optimistic and then what do you think else we can do in this space what else needs to happen if i gave you a magic wand what else would you change in your in your arena that's an excellent question i mean i a couple things came to mind number one I'm thinking about how much more is out there that people can engage with. I'm thinking about Ruth Simmons, who was the uh, first African-American person, let's put woman aside, person to run an Ivy League school. She became president of Brown. She and Toni Morrison, by the way, were very good friends. Ruth traveled all the way to Stockholm when um, when uh, Ruth Simmons got the uh, Nobel Prize. Wow. And so when she grew up, she was granddaughter of slaves. She grew up. A doll was like a rag and some corn husks, and that's what she entertained herself with and then ended up becoming a brilliant scholar and a brilliant, uh, 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 a brilliant, brilliant administrator at, at Princeton. Without Ruth, we wouldn't have had this sort of dream team of, of uh, folks who were teaching there, Cornell West, Val Smith, all these people, and then she becomes president of Brown. And you think about a kid now, almost any kid, even when I've done research in like a Native American reservation, for example, there's great poverty. Kids have many new ways now to be entertained, right? Maybe it's on their cell phone. It may not be everything they want. But for me to think about somebody like Ruth Simmons, a child of something like an enormous family, becoming first uh, brown person, black person to become president of the Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. Her only toy was a, a, a handmade doll, right? And if you would sit in her office, as I did when she became president, like all the walls going back to 17, 16, something, whatever, you know, all these white men going back to when they had wigs on all the way around. And then this black woman it was very exciting. I think that sometimes uh, African-Americans have done miraculous things. And in terms of art, when I think about, you know, Louis Armstrong and I think about Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday and Coleman Hawkins and Lester Young, and it is a miracle what they did just between like the beginning of the 20th century and, and by 1945, what they had done, you know, that, you know, here comes jazz, here comes bebop. These are not people who were going over to Juilliard taking music lessons. How did that happen, Karen? How did that happen? You know, and I I think uh, that it's, uh, it's extraordinary, the invention of, of, uh, of black people. So what do we fix? During this window, Anna DeVere Smith, what can we get done? Look, so the word systems, and by the way, you know, I think that the Me Too movement, uh, and obviously climate change and a variety of disenchantment about, you know, how much people have to go to college and pay all those loans back. 
I mean, I think the Me Too movement actually has done a service to this uh, movement right now, which is that, I I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, three years ago, if you walked up to some young uh, white person on the street and said, what's systemic racism? They may go, I don't know. But I think that uh, with with Harvey Weinstein coming down, uh, you know, he he came down almost the same way that monuments are coming down right now. It's like people understood that the problem of sexual harassment and abuse was across institutions. It's not just one man. Right. And that an entire industry, the entire industry uh, was making that okay, Right. And of course, Hollywood got a lot of attention. But you think of a lot of corporate environments. So I think people understand that bad stuff isn't just one bad person. Right. It's not just like one bad cop. But that inside of our institutions are these strains of power abusing people um, is actually uh, I hope that people see that right now and that they understand what they have to do is 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 not just make demands for their own industry, but get inside of those institutions and get a hold of those strains and make demands that the strains are pulled out so Mm. that we can have a more equitable society. When you think about your future, you usually think about goals. Where do I want to end up? Well, I'm encouraging you to dream. This is a good time to do that. Let's substitute dreams for goals, and suddenly you can plan even bigger because no one ever has small dreams. So I'm encouraging you to dare to dream bigger and start your bigger future with a degree from Ashford University. If you were thinking about going back to school, here's a good time. Ashford University online bachelor's and master's degree programs will allow you to learn on a convenient and flexible schedule. At Ashford, expert teachers give you real-life experience, real-world experience, and online classes built for your life's twists and turns. And you can learn from home or wherever you feel comfortable. You can pursue a degree in one of Ashford's 60-plus programs like business administration, healthcare administration, psychology, and they have 24-hour, 24-7 access to your classroom, daily support, financial aid. Ashford gives you the tools you need to go from dreaming to doing. So go from dreaming to doing. Your bigger future starts today at Ashford University. There are no fees to apply or standardized testing required to enroll. Go to ashford.edu slash Karen. Ashford.edu slash Karen. That's ashford.edu slash Karen. Not all programs are available in all states. From your lips. Uh, Anna DeVere Smith, you also talked about Dave Chappelle and his 846. And I I shared some thoughts uh, both on these airwaves and on YouTube about what I witnessed because I felt like I witnessed something. Tell us what you thought. When you saw him. Yeah, well, only if you're going to tell me what you thought. Well, first of all, I, I, I think a lot about a person actually who turned me on to that awful and troubling quote of Thomas Jefferson's a woman called Maxine Green, who was a great philosopher of education, lived to be almost 100. And then a great journalist, Studs Terkel, also lived almost to be 100. Both of them had a huge influence on me. And they both used this expression, the official language, right? And so if you and I were sitting together, look at CNN right now, it would be a whole lot of people with official language. And much of what they're telling us is very important. What I was excited about, about, uh, you know, because I, too, am a clown, you know, and I use that as a high praise when you call an actor a clown. We see the world upside down. We don't see it right side up. And so when I saw him 
there was no official language. He was not throwing around any of the big words. He wasn't sitting still on a stool. He was at whatever, you know, he had his cup, plastic cup of whatever he was drinking. He was rolling up his pants like, and he was furious, furious. And there was no official language. He was not wielding around any words with that fury. He made the fury very present and very visceral. And um, I, I was very excited by it. I was just anything that makes you sit forward like that. Somebody mm. told me I asked the guy who ran the Barnum and Bailey Circus before it um, came down. I said, you know, what makes a good show? And he's like, you know, when you go, how did you do that? Right? <laughs> and as an artist, I'm watching Chappelle. I was just looking at that, honestly, and going, how did you do that, man? You know, how did you get that together? What are you doing? <laughs> How did you do it? What did you think? I had a conversation with the uh, head of Africana Studies at Howard about it, and he likened it to uh, Dave Chappelle. He, he said that they're domas and they're jollies in African uh, culture. The people, uh, the domas are the blood. They're, you know, they're the griot who get the information out, but they're the blood because there's, they filter out the truth and they bring it out to the people. And I felt I was listening to truth raw, hard truth that had right. uh, connections to things that I had forgotten that he was able to tie it all into that eight minutes and 46 seconds of George Floyd being under that man's knee. And it was the ancestors and the drum beat that we needed to hear. And I feel like in many ways it represents where we are right now and, and the fragility of, of a people that also are, are indestructible at the same right. time. And uh, I was both disturbed and, and optimistic, you know, and mm -hmm. I, and I feel like, again, we're in a moment that needs to go beyond a movement and needs to inculcate certain things. And, and there's a freedom to, to his expression that I wish many of us would have. And I think we still operate through a lens of, of white acceptance. You know, we want people to accept well. us and not feel uncomfortable and not look at us as if we're one of them. Instead of just being fully, completely who we are, wherever we are, and knowing that our fullness allows for the world to rotate better, you know, and, and that's, that's all I feel about it. Well, it takes a lot of uh, whatever he has done, you know, is brilliance, but also whatever he's done in his life to be free of the, even the facade of celebrity. And apparently that's one of the things that called him out is Don Lemon wanting to know, you know, where the celebrities are. And so I think that J Dave Chappelle that we saw in 846 is a Dave Chappelle we would have seen if we'd been in sixth grade with him. Mm. Yeah. He's able to be his authentic self under the lens, which is, that's very difficult. When did you get your freedom papers? Well, I don't know if I have them. Uh, I don't think I have uh, freedom papers. I think, uh, no, I don't. I mean, I, I, I believe that what I do, which probably looks real, a uh, little bit mamby-pamby maybe, because, you know, my whole thing is I've been chasing that, which is not me. Um, and, you know, because I am, you know, a professor and all these things. Uh, but I think what I do is subversive. Because mm. I cross boundaries that I'm not supposed to cross in my work. Um, by that, I mean inhabiting people that are not my race and gender. And uh, so I don't think I have any freedom papers. I think I just am following my um, 
you know, look, I love human beings. When I uh, had a chance to learn at one point and perform Letter from a Birmingham Jail, I've, I've cited it already today, and I feel that, you know, um, you know, I, I don't know if we understood what a great lover of people uh, Martin Luther King was. And so, mm. you know, maybe I got my uh, freedom to the extent that it was freedom is uh, maybe the day that my mother said to me, seeing one of my early works, um, very quietly, you know, she just said, you know, I think you may be ahead of your time. Which was a way of saying they aren't going to understand it. Some people are going to think it's a mess. She didn't (laughs) say it that way. But that may have been a very liberating thing for me uh, to understand that I was different. Um, But uh, that perhaps I would just have to follow that different way. You know, what about you? When did you get yours, Freedom Papers? I think I was born with them. My parents always said that it was something different about me and that my mother said my mouth was going to get me in trouble. And I remember that as right. early as I can wow. remember everything. And I could never keep quiet and got in trouble in the first grade for telling the teacher she was wrong. And uh, I remember the conversation my dad having with me in the car on the drive home because he had to come to school. <laughs> And he said, you can't embarrass grown folk like that. You can't tell your teacher. And I was like, but why? She's wrong. She was wrong. He's like, and, and, and I could watch him painstakingly try to explain to me why a six-year-old should not challenge authority, but at the same time, appreciating that I had the wherewithal to do that. And so, yeah. Well, you know, uh, I want to just mention one quick thing about that. You know, when I did uh, wrote my play notes from the field, I interviewed uh, 250 people And what I noticed that got girls, young women and girls in trouble was exactly running their mouth. And I don't know if you remember that video of of, uh, the young lady in in Columbia, South Carolina, who was thrown across the room by a Mm -hmm. cop. We saw that because she wouldn't she wouldn't uh, put her cell phone away. Well, uh, everybody in that class just sat there looking straight ahead while their classmate was being thrown across the room. And a young lady named Naya Kinney started screaming at the police officer. And she got sent to jail for that. She got sent to jail. Now, she got out, but she got sent to jail. To me, that was like, okay, that's what gets a black lady, a young black woman in in trouble, running your mouth. And in that very disturbing video of the cops in Dallas, at the uh, in Houston, rather, at the, I think it was Houston or Dallas, at a pool party, throwing a young girl yes. around in a bathing suit. In her suit. bathing suit. Mm-hmm. In her bathing suit. And you hear him saying to her and her friends right before he grabs her and throws her on the ground is, you better stop running your mouth. <laughs> that's like, that's what, that's what gets girls in trouble. Don't run your mouth. And There's now I will never stop. That gets, honey, that's other stuff that gets boys in trouble. But we run our mouths. So and the message is to, to keep doing it. Keep running your mouth. <laughs> keep running your mouth because it will lead to freedom. Yeah, you're going to piss people off, but it will definitely lead to freedom. Your favorite character, because you do a lot. The, the character that you think is the, your favorite. No, I don't. You know, my mother had five children and she did not say who was her favorite. So I don't have any favorites. By the way, Come anytime on. somebody. No, but look, to write the notes from the field, I talked to 250 people, only 19 are in the show and very brief parts of that. To write Twilight, I interviewed over 300, 300. people and yeah. 43 people end up in it. 
<clears throat> so everybody that ends up in it is among my favorites because it, it's a real commitment to try to create a portrait of a person. It's a lot of work. So I would say they're, they're, uh, they're all my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. They're all my favorites. That's such a cheap. <laughs> Come on, Edda Devere Smith. I know there's one that you really like to play that just kind of gets your, not your jaw winding, but you know, gets that blood flowing well, I was actually excited to play Kevin uh, Moore, who is the person who took the video of Freddie Gray being beaten. Mm. And it was because, uh, I mean, this is a young man who was in and out of jail uh, his whole life. And his language was very riveting. And um, he was just expressive in an incredible way. And I wondered why his language was so riveting and one of the kids who worked with me you know picked up something i missed that he said which is that when he was in jail he read the dictionary backwards and forwards Hmm. and so i just thought whoa you know i was very interested in how he designed his knowledge Let's, let's put it that way yeah and and what does the future for you look like in this new world i don't know if Hollywood, I know certain places are opening back up and they're starting to film. I've had several uh, several people that I know in, in your space. Uh, but what's going to change for you? Well, it's like I said before the murder of George Floyd, you know, when we were just in the pandemic, to me, myself and a lot of artists, were, I call it a, we're on an existential and a financial tightrope. All my gigs were canceled. I'm not new, you know, not unlike anybody else, but all my gigs were, you know, I'm in the gig economy. Um, <laughs> and and my, uh, I'm on a TV show, uh, Sean Rhymes' new show. We shut down production. We don't know when we're going to go back to production. I don't know. And, and, you know, anything I'm working on right now, I would, I don't know if it will be produced, when it will be produced. Will people be interested in the same ways that they were mm. before? I mean, I think for right now, for all of us in every way, in sort of both chapters of this kind of, you know, the pandemic that we're in, you know, the revelation of a racial pandemic and the, and the germ pandemic, um, I think, you know, it would be kind of foolish to say you knew because I don't know. It's, but I think it's like we have to be ready to... Um, we have to be, I don't know how we get ready, but that's really, we have to just be ready for whatever it is and to jump on um, opportunity. I want to quickly tell you about this slave narrative I came upon in relationship to Juneteenth. It was a man who had been in Galveston when the news came. He was, and um, and he, uh, you know, he was asked, well, what was it like? And he said, it was really wild, you know, and he said, you know, we all thought we were going to get rich because we knew how to work hard. And the white people didn't work hard. We worked hard. They didn't. So we figured, well, they don't know how to work. We know how to work. We're going to get rich. And then he goes, we didn't get rich. We got proud. But we didn't get rich. I was like, oh, my mm. God, that's pretty amazing. Because part of what we have to do as African-Americans caught in historical trauma and transgenerational trauma is we're always trying to fix this inside thing that has to do with our dignity that gets assaulted all the time. But then it's like, whoa, man, that was pretty smart what he said. The proud part wasn't actually enough. 
And then he talked about how they were, everybody was on the move after that. Everybody was on the move, right? Which, you know, I think eventually becomes like the great migration. But I don't know. What are we, are we going to be on the move when, when, you know, we can move again? Are we going to be, what are we going to be seeking? What mm. I think is that we should be seeking opportunity. I love that. And I think also that proud thing, we mm-hmm. need to love ourselves and one another. We need to double down on that. We need to figure out what that even means. Let you me know. ask you something in that way. What do you think? Because you listen to all these people. You know, I talked to a Black Panther, uh, you know, soon after the Panthers were, wow, well after the Panthers were done in the Black, uh, when I went to L.A. to do interviews about the riot. And I had noticed, as everybody did, you know, everybody screaming in the streets, after Rod, the Rodney King, we call the Rodney No Justice, No Peace, right? Which actually started when a little girl named Latasha Harlins was shot in the back by a Korean store. No Justice, No Peace. And so I said to this panther, I said, oh, so No Justice, No Peace, that's kind of like what All Power to the People was. I said, did, did No Justice, No Peace take over for All Power to the People? And he thought for a minute, and then he said, no, ain't nothing ever going to be as big as All Power to the People. So we talk about proud you know i think about i'm black and i'm proud what do you think is the slogan now what is the all power to the people i'm black and Ooh. i'm proud the no justice no peace of now i don't know i don't know and i until you just brought it up you know i i always felt a little hollow inside when i heard no justice no peace because we could not make that happen that couldn't be made a reality because many of us weren't willing to put the sacrifice in front of that to make sure that there was no peace Right. So it's just hollow words to me and it still feels hollow. Power to the people. Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. I remember the, the song. But I think what we need is something even deeper than that. And it's not just about you know being black and proud. It's about just loving one another and loving who we are when we see one another. I don't know what that's going to require for 400 years of denigration and feeling bad and and being told that you're less than or that you're an animal. I don't know how we overcome that. But person by person, we need to figure that out. I'm with you. And, you know, you're doing it at Hunter. I'm doing it in my way at NYU. I think we just do what we can. And let's stay in touch, Anna DeVere Smith. I'd love to have you on. It's been incredible to talk with you. And, uh, you know, just really thank you for obviously what you've done, too, to prepare. I know how much work that takes. You've got to talk to a lot of people all day long. So. I really do appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. Listen, you have an open seat here, man. I'll expect you to be back on like more frequently. We promise to come back. Yes. Yes. Back at you. Yes. Anna Devere Smith. You can follow her at Anna Devere S on the Twitters. Change the conversation, change the system. Mm -hmm. 